0: A podcast one production. I'm good to go. Okay, ready? <clears throat> Take it away, my dulcet-toned Adonis. No, I've, I feel like it'd be funnier if it's more of a contrast, like if I up my nasal. Hold on. Take it away, my dulcet-toned Adonis. <laughs>
1: okay, Go. <laughs> You got it, sweet cheeks. Hello and welcome back, Gistners, for another episode of Just The Gist, our weekly-ish podcast where Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a topic we think you're going to find interesting enough to bring up at a dinner party. This week, Rosie is going to be telling us a story which I know nothing about, which if she's stuck to her original planet, I do know Mm -hmm. is about a murder Possibly yes. a spree of murders?
0: No, just the one. Just, just the, the one. one. I'm uh-huh. doing this week the murder of uh, Latin singing superstar Selena Quintanilla. Oh. So, you know, the movie starring J-Lo from 1997? That's, that's sort of how everybody knows yeah. who Selena is. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing.
1: Very cool. Okay, this is something I've sort of always had um Mild enough level of curiosity to think maybe I should Mm. Google that one day, but I've never actually been inspired enough to get around to it.
0: The only reason I even know about it is I remember one night, I must have been like 13, 12 or 13, probably hiding from my drunk mother. So I went to um, my older sister's house. So she was Mm. like 16 and she was living in this, Tiny little like shitty apartment above a shop on the side of the Great Western Highway in the Blue Mountains, and I went to her house one night, and she had this tiny little TV. Back when TVs still had like a fat back, like they weren't just you know, and um mm. and this movie came on free to air because that's all we had. It was tough times, kids. Um, <laughs> and it would have been like probably would have been around ninety nine, so maybe it was quite a new movie. Um, mm. it was called Selena. And I got mm. really into it. And it was about this, like, you know, sweet singer girl who rises through the, you know, up the ladder of fame. And she, mm. like, starts performing at these big concerts. And I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. And then in the last five minutes of the movie, bam, murdered. I was like, what? <laughs> so, and I had I was I had no idea it was a true story. I didn't know what was... So ever since then, I sort of um, had a mild, like, interest in it. And, um, mm. yeah, so... That's what I'm doing this week.
1: There we go. All right, I can't wait to get into that. But before we do, I think (gasps) it is important that we do Do, do, do,
0: do, 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 do. breaking news, a breaking news. I got the scoop of see extra, extra read all about it. A breaking news. Do do, do. Do you feel like maybe we should just record it so I don't have to do it every time?
1: (laughs) No, I feel like you bring a new um, spontaneous sort of energy to it each time and I feel like it is continuing yeah. to evolve as well. So the I like to get the live in, experience. Yes,
0: the joy is in the freshness, mm-hmm. um, I suppose. Um, all right, so a lot of people have uh, messaged us and emailed us at uh, the, Just the Gist Podcast at gmail.com email mm-hmm. asking us to do a whole episode on this, um, mm-hmm. which I actually, it's been on my list since we started Just the Gist. This has been on my list of things that I want to do, but it's the kind of story that just keeps evolving and evolving, so I keep holding off to see what happens. But in the last Mm. week, a bunch of stuff happened. People really want us to talk about the Free Britney movement.
1: Oh, yes, that was on my list to request as well. So
0: so I'll talk about it in breaking news this week because a a bunch of stuff has happened this week, sort of. Like, well, not even Mm. anything major, but... I'll just give you a very brief background. So years ago when Britney shaved her head in 2007, everybody remembers that iconic moment where she shaved her head and tried to bash a car with an umbrella. And Mm -hmm. that was the year that she kind of had an emotional uh, breakdown, mental breakdown. And a year later, her dad was made conservator of her estate. So she's under Mm -hmm. a conservatorship, which basically means She is like an adult child. Like Mm. any decision about anything in her life has to go through her father. So she gets given an allowance. He decides all the work she does. If she wants to travel somewhere, he has to okay it. Custody of her kids went to their dad. Like, um, so basically he... He makes sure, you know, she takes medication if she, like, uh, apparently she has bipolar, but I I don't know. But apparently when she needs extra help, he has her admitted to hospital, Mm. all that kind of stuff. And so a lot of people would say she clearly needed that extra help. Mm. But then there are other people on the other side of that who are part of the Free Britney, hashtag Free Britney conspiracy movement, where Mm -hmm. they say that Brittany is being held prisoner in her home. She doesn't need to be under this conservatorship. The only reason uh, her father put her under it was because she w- was worth gazillions of dollars and had the potential to bring in gazillions of dollars, and he wanted to be in charge of all that money. And so basically there's a lot of evil people around her I have her under control like a prisoner just to sort of treat her as a money-making machine. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's this great podcast called, um, that I found, I think I was telling you about it about a month ago. It's called Eat, Pray, Britney. And And I have
1: started it. I'm about two episodes deep. Yeah. (laughs) It's
0: so good. So these two girls, okay. First of all, warning, it is very earnest. The two girls Mm. who do this podcast love Britney Spears so Mm. much So if you can get past their earnestness, it's actually a very interesting podcast to listen to because they go through all the detail of her conservatorship and look into all the conspiracy theories. But Mm. within the first five minutes of the first podcast, one of the girls says... If I don't do anything to help Brittany get out from under that conservatorship <laughs> before I die, then I would have wasted my life. So that is the level <laughs> of earnestness these girls bring to the table.
1: They are very invested. <laughs> they are true Brit wits. yes, yes
0: they are. Um, and you know, so in the last couple of weeks, I think it's been in the news a bit because she Brittany just posts bizarre stuff on Instagram like where she kind of mm. looks really disheveled. Her makeup looks a bit smudged. She always kind of looks like she's hungover, even when mm. it's strange. She always just looks a bit worse for wear, and she yep. does all these dances and and on on Instagram. And people have started reading into her Instagram videos and posts like their secret messages. Mm. So, and, but then the thing is, it's they're kind of I think making it work the way they want to work. So someone will comment under one of her posts. Wear next to tell us you're in danger in your next post. Wear a yellow top, but she gets literally a hundred thousand comments under each post, and mm. so then like a few days later, she'll be wearing a yellow top, and they're all like, "She's in danger!" <laughs> like, and so it's uh, I don't know about it, but um, her mother has actually like applied to. Uh, Get the conservatorship like pulled and and her mother went into a bunch of Free Britney kind of uh fan accounts and was liking a bunch of the posts. So now people mm. are saying like her mum's been shut out and her mum's trying to save her, and um <laughs> so that's the free Britney movement. I mean, we we can go we'll do an episode where we actually do a just the gist on it, but that is a just the gist uh-huh. of the just the gist. But um, uh-huh. yeah, I guess the the breaking news is just that um I don't know, there's just been some interesting videos of hers this week. and
1: Yeah, it seems to be trending and I think I saw some post where someone said that it looked like she'd written the word help in on her palm or on a hat or something like that. And so it's starting to build quite a lot of momentum. Like I wasn't aware of this until you told me about it. And now I'm starting to see it pop up in a bunch of different places.
0: I think it's just that it was a very underground super fan thing and it's sort of hit mainstream news recently. Um, And so -hmm. that's why people are talking more about it. And so, I mean, I personally think, I think she's a very sweet dummy. I think she is like Mm -hmm. a child. That happens to a lot of child stars who kind of get stunted in their maturity, not being able to kind of grow past a certain level. And and I think she Mm. does need help. And, like, she seems to, when she's on her own, lose control of herself and... You know, I think it's good that someone like that has people in her life who are willing to step in and take care of her, given that she's, you know, almost 40.
1: True, but, you know, having only listened to the first couple of episodes and heard the early stages of how and why the conservatorship was put in place it is really disturbing to think about the fact that they started putting her back on stage so soon after that huge meltdown that she had.
0: That's true. That's obviously true. obviously
1: was a very, very serious breakdown. And then I know I went and saw the circus tour so I was kind of contributing to the problem at the time. And yeah. I actually was really, really, really let down by it. <laughs> so one of my friends, she'd had a little bit too much to drink, not enough to eat and was wearing really uncomfortable heels. And because the vibe of the concert yeah. was so sort of bland because Brittany was just phoning it in oh. like she was drugged up to the eyeballs. Um, my friend sort of just standing there a little bit wasted on cheap champagne, um, needed some medical assistance. And so we had to go and find like the ambulance tent thing in this giant arena. Yeah. And then once she was well enough, she was like, all right, let's go back out there. And I was like, nah, let's just stay here. I don't even want to see the rest of the concert.
0: (laughs) Oh no, (laughs) Britas.
1: It was really bad. Really, really bad. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, I think. I certainly think she needs the extra help. What I will concede is that I think the people who are helping also have something to gain from her continuing to work. And so that is where the ethical lines seem a bit fuzzy. Yeah. But I do think that if there wasn't someone in control of her stuff, she would spiral. So, I mean, there's stories of her spending, like, a million dollars in a day just going on bizarre shopping sprees, not really understanding how much money she has or what she, you know what I mean? Like mm. my hairdresser Byron, um, everyone go to Goldie in Sydney, go and see <laughs> my hairdresser Byron Turnbull. He is a super Britney fan, super mm. Britney fan. And we talk about Britney whenever he does my hair. And so he is for the conservatorship because he told me the other side of all this stuff and like how obviously she needs a lot of help. And so he kind of me over to that side of things. But then you listen to Eat, Pray, Brittany, and you're like, oh, somebody get in there and save her. Mm. So I don't
1: know. I'm loving the conspiracies, though. It's very QAnon.
0: It's very QAnon. So we, mm. oh, I think we do have to do a whole episode on this because I could keep yes. talking about this. Um, mm. Another thing everyone wanted us to talk about this week uh, and everyone kept begging us to do just the GIST episodes on is Bachelor in Paradise, which started this uh-huh. week. Um, mm. our favorite Abby went back in and got kicked out oh. after at the first row ceremony, but it was good because it, it you could tell she wasn't enjoying it. And I messaged her on Instagram and I was like, you look like you so badly wanted to get out of there. And she was like, girl, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Really? It's just, I don't know, boring. Kieran's on it. You know, the one, um, everyone loved from Angie. Kent's- Manchester. Manchester. Um, Mm. and he's overplayed his hand because he's he's the villain now. So it came yeah, it came out. Um, okay, so first of all, it's such double standards, it's gender dynamics, my friend. (laughs) That Mm. Abby got such a villains edit on her season of The Bachelor, and then she started getting a villain's edit on this season of Bachelor in Paradise before she left. And Kieran literally he walked in naked with the grapes like he did last time in the show. He walks around in these tidy little budgie smugglers. He um, made out with three different girls in like the first two days, one of Mm. which was a friend of his ex-girlfriend on the outside that he had cheated on and everybody acts like he's this lovable, funny larrikin and it's like Mm. if Abby had – like Abby did nothing like any of that and people acted like she was the wicked witch of the West. So it's just – ridiculous gender dynamics but then he overplayed his hand and he also got a bit screwed over by the producers because they sent in his ex-girlfriend the one he had cheated on before and she admitted Mm. that when he was in the house with Angie Kent he was messaging her the whole time telling her he um, wanted to be with her telling her he hated the show he didn't want to be there And uh, there's speculation now, but she said when he told Angie that his grandma had died and he was devastated and he had to leave, she went and picked him up from the airport and they got together straight away. And so there's speculation Mm. now that his grandma didn't even die. He just made it up. Oh. I know. (laughs) So everyone's like, oh, Kieran, you should have bowed out because you got the hero edit. Last time, yeah, and this time stick around too long, Mm
1: -mm. yeah. You left them wanting more, (laughs) but then you came back and gave them more, and it just didn't taste right. Too
0: much, Mm. so Mm. I didn't feel like watching that last night. But I knew last night was the bombshell episode, so I watched it for all of you, so I could get across it. But that's what happened. (laughs) But they just—they haven't said whether or not the grandma thing is true. They just said that when he left, he went straight to his girlfriend who he'd been texting Mm. the whole time anyway. So I don't know, but that's that. Right. But no, we will not be recapping Bachelor in Paradise. We have moved on. (laughs) Thank God. We've moved on. (laughs) to better, more important
1: things.
0: (laughs) Oh, another thing I wanted to mention was the update on Kanye West, who, so last week we talked about his run for president (laughs) and I, did mention when we were talking about it that I felt a little uneasy about it because he's, he has, you know, he's uh, admitted he has bipolar in the past and it did seem like maybe he was a bit manic. But then we did kind of laugh about it and I did have one girl emailed me and said, and she was very lovely and she just said, look, like I have bipolar and it's just maybe don't laugh at people when they're in a manic phase. And I was like, actually, fair enough. I think the thing was... Yeah. um I consider him a ridiculous, funny person anyway, and I think I was kind Mm. of mixing up just considering him ridiculous and hilarious all the time and the fact that he was in a manic kind of phase. And last week it was kind of questionable whether it was just ridiculous Kanye or something to be worried about Kanye, Mm. but that line completely got left in the distance this week because this week he is clearly... In a very bad place. And it's been quite distressing to look at. Like, mm. so do you know anything about what's happened? I mean, you're in Byron Bay and cut off from everything.
1: Yeah, because you and I have been working on a um, secret little writing project Mm. that's dominated my sort of thoughts and time over the last few days. I did glimpse something that looked like Kanye was wearing a bulletproof vest standing Uh, in front of a small crowd. So he
0: held his first rally, like his first presidential rally, and at this Mm. rally he just acted hysterical. He told a story about how... um, Kim Kardashian was holding the pills to abort their baby. But then, like, um, he looked at his computer and his computer started fuzzing up and he realized that was God telling him, if you kill this baby, I'll kill your creativity. So then he begged Kim not to kill the baby. and But then he just broke down and he's, like, going, I almost killed my daughter! And he's, like, hysterically crying. And all the people at the rally are like, what? the f is going on like he's just lost it and so that rally happened Mm. and then yesterday um he started tweeting all this crazy stuff like saying um like Kim sent a doctor to try and lock me up in hospital um and then he's tweeting Kim and Chris like Christiana call me don't try and ignore me like you can't lock me up and then he's tweeting pictures of the movie Get Out saying the movie Get Out is about me like insinuating that like he's been like Kim's family you know and he, and then he start and then he's tweets a photo of his kids saying um the West children will never do Playboy and, like, he just started tweeting all this insane stuff and it got to the point where everyone on Twitter was like, this is, like, last week it was questionable but Mm. this week it is very clear that there is something very, very wrong and he really needs help. Mm. And today I saw that um, Dave Chappelle, the comedian who was apparently a friend of his, flew into Wyoming where he is. Oh, no, I think Dave Chappelle lives in Wyoming Anyway, he, he went to Kanye. So he's with Dave Chappelle mm-hmm. and so um, that's all anybody knows so far. But today mm-hmm. we're recording on Wednesday today so who knows what could happen in the next few days.
1: <laughs> that sounds very disturbing. How long did the, yeah. um, I mean, you told me he did that interview that went for eight hours How long did his rally last?
0: I actually don't know, but I'd say probably a long time. But you can see. Enough for everyone to
1: leave exhausted.
0: And on the faces of the people like standing on stage behind him, they were just like, what is happening? Like he was just (laughs) saying crazy things and Mm. he just is quite clearly not in a good, like he really needs, someone in his life needs to step in and and do something. I was reading like this interesting tweet thread yesterday, like he's, He's ridiculously rich and when you have people who get to that level of wealth, it is very difficult for anybody in their life to control them even when it Mm. is like seems like a necessity. So. eh.
1: Uh, um, Has Kimmy K been saying anything public about this?
0: No, but there's been little leaks to tabloids, like, a source close to the family says they're incredibly worried and blah, blah, and that generally mm. usually comes from the family. Like, that's how they – that's how they comment without commenting. Um, right. But, no, they haven't said anything. Like, they've just mm. all gone to ground. So imagine how distressing it would be, though, seeing your husband just complete, and you want to help him and he's refusing your help and – God, it would oh, just yeah. be and awful.
1: God help those kids when they mm. grow up and uh, – Consume that footage.
0: It's, I know.
1: Yeah, someone does, like you say, need to intervene. And
0: well, <laughs> fingers crossed, man. Dave Chappelle's, away. you know, a decent dude, except mm. for his occasional horrible joke about trans people. But mostly, he seems like a very, you know, he has a he has a good head on his shoulders, Dave Chappelle. And I feel like mm. he'll go in there and be like Kanye. Mm.
1: Fingers crossed. Fingers Our crossed. faith is in you, Dave.
0: Um, and I think I had a couple more things, but that was quite long breaking news. So we can save the rest. Oh, I just wanted to tell you this because I thought you'd love it. Mm. There's a um Japanese roller coaster. Have you heard about this? No. So this is a theme park in Japan and they had a roller coaster open, but because they don't want to spread COVID, they didn't want anyone to scream. So there's all these signs up around the roller coaster that just say, please scream inside your heart. <laughs> and everyone's like oh my god that's just like the perfect motto for 2020
1: <laughs> that's what we've all been doing please uh, scream sun inside up to your heart down.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that was cute that was right. beautiful
1: so yes. that was
0: breaking news doodly doodly doodly. yeehaw yeehaw Okay, you ready? <laughs> sure, this honey. is the murder of Selena Quintanilla.
1: Do they pronounce it Selena?
0: Um, no, it's just Selena. Uh.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I'm probably going to butcher a lot of these pronunciations. I did look them up, but you know.
1: All I know is JLo played her yeah. and Mac did a special limited edition collection a few yes. years back that was Selena themed.
0: Okay, so here we go. Selena Quintanilla was considered, I guess, the Madonna of uh, Latin Hispanic music. Um, Mm -hmm. She was from Texas, and Texas is like, it's hard to explain to people who haven't been there or haven't been to the U.S., but in the U.S., Texas is like its own country. Mm -hmm. Our best friend Tony studied at university there, um, and he described it as just like you don't even remember you're in America. Like Texas, they people who are, who are from Texas don't say they're American, they say they're Texan. Like, mm-hmm. So it really is like its own country. It's got 29 million people, so it's got a bigger population than all of Australia. Um, mm. It shares most of its border with Mexico, so it has a huge Latino community, mm. and there's a massive focus on Tex-Mex, like food and culture. That's where it all yeah. sort of happened. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is where Selena was born in 1971. She was the youngest of three kids to her dad, Abraham, who was Mexican American and her mom, uh, Marcella, who was Cherokee and her dad noticed she was good at singing when she was like six, about six Mm -hmm. years old and they owned a family Tex-Mex restaurant. So he got the kids to form a little band so they could play in the restaurant in the night times. And so her brother played the guitar and her sister played the drums and the band was called Selena y los Dinos, which means Selena and the guys. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, they mm. sung a very specific kind of music called um, Tejano music, which is a fusion of like Mexican-Spanish vocals mixed with European influences like um, polka and, like, U.S. influences like country. So it's a very specific mm-hmm. kind of music, and it's uh, really, really popular amongst Mexican-Americans, a lot uh-huh. of which are in Texas. So Tejano uh-huh. music is huge in Texas. Um, <laughs> the, what's funny? What's funny?
1: <laughs> it's amazing we haven't heard of it. big oh. <laughs> banging hits that we might remember?
0: Um, well, I'll get to that. Yes, she okay. was a superstar, a doy. Oh, so
1: she maintained this flavor throughout her career? Yeah. Okay. Yep.
0: Um. Good. Okay. So the restaurant eventually goes under when there was like I don't know some apparently there was a big oil bust in Texas or something and everybody mm. kind of got screwed by it. Um the family went bankrupt and lost their house. So then the band kind of became their main source of income and the dad became their manager and he started promoting them as best he could. He bought a bus and called it Big Bertha and it became like their tour bus and they would tour around and do little gigs. They would busk or do weddings or fairs or quinceaneras which are like those big sweet 16ths that they have. Um mm. And apparently, like, sometimes they barely made enough money to buy dinner. It was lucky they lived on the bus because they mm. had nowhere to go. But their popularity was really growing to the point where when Selena was in year eight, her dad pulled her out of school because their performance schedule was so packed. But the mm. school complained and she ended up having to finish via correspondence. But um, she still, because she didn't have to have contact hours at school, she had time to work more. And she released her first LP with the band in 1984, so she was 13. Mm -hmm. And it was for a pretty small record label, like Tejano Music Local kind of thing. Um, She wanted to record songs in English um, because she didn't even speak Spanish. Um, Mm. But her dad wouldn't let her because Tejano Music is all sung in Spanish. So she had to learn the words phonetically, so she didn't know what she was saying. Kind of like what wow. Roxette did, like.
1: Uh, explain, uh, please.
0: Roxette, you know, she's got the look and must have been loved. They didn't know I what know they were Roxette, saying. I know Roxette,
1: but did they not speak English? No. Really? They
0: just, yeah. They sung everything phonetically.
1: Wow. Where were they from? Sweden. Really? There you I go. thought Swedes yeah. knew English better than they knew, I assume, Swedish is the name of their official language. Mm.
0: Well, I don't know. I could have just completely made this up, but. <laughs> no, I feel like you don't believe me, so I'm looking it up.
1: Well, what I was going to say is I've already believed you. I've already bought this story. So even if you disprove yourself.
0: Let's just say it's true.
1: I've bought it. I'm going to propagate the lie. Should it be untrue, I'm just going to keep believing.
0: Anyway, a little detour there. <laughs> So after that little LP, so an LP is not like a whole album, isn't it? It's like a few mm. songs, I think, like Felix is nodding. The DJ knows. Somewhere yeah, between like a single and an
1: album, yeah.
0: So, yeah, after that was made, she started going on radio and local TV and the founder of the Tejano Music Awards discovered her mm. and she won the Tejano Female Vocalist of the Year in 1987, so she was 16, and by 1988... Uh, She had recorded five more LPs and was massively, massively popular, but only in Texas and Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, She was so popular at this point that she finally got the attention of mainstream record labels and there was even a bit of a bidding war between all the major ones. And she ended up signing with EMI Latin with her brother and sister as her band. And she desperately still wanted to sing in English so she could reach a more mainstream audience, but they didn't want her to yet. They didn't think she was popular enough to do that. They wanted her to record Tejano albums in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Um, So she recorded her first proper album called Selena. It was released in 1989 when she was 18 and Mm. it was pretty big. Like it was considered a decent success. So they released two more albums, but it was the third one called Montre a Mi Mi Mundo. Oh, God. (laughs) Anyway, um, in 1992, and that was the breakout hit album. Like, that was the one that, like, she was already pretty famous in Texas and Mexico, but that album made her huge. It went to number one on the Billboard Mexican chart. Coca-Cola asked her to be a spokesperson in Texas. She got nominated for two Billboard Music Awards, and she was finally able to tour, like, other parts of the U.S. because she started getting Mm. popular... Um, other places um, and the band was still just her and her brother and sister but they'd also hired an extra guitarist and they fell in love and they got married. So it was a very mm-hmm. much a family close-knit affair still. Mm-hmm. In 1994 and 1995, her career went like super duper next level. So she had a number one album on the Latin charts She opened two clothing boutiques because she was considered like a fashion icon and everybody, Mm. and she designed a lot of her own stuff, and so she um, opened these two stores. She was nominated for a Grammy. She was listed as one of the top 20 wealthiest Latin music stars in the US, and famously she performed in an attendance record-breaking sellout show at the Texas Astrodome to Mm. 65,000 people. So that was her... Like, that's Madonna-level crowds. Like, that's huge. That's
1: huge. And still at this point just singing in Spanish but not understanding yeah. what she's singing. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> and
0: she's 23. And she's so adorable. Like, she's really beautiful and she's really charismatic and she's very sweet. Like, in all her interviews, she's really funny and I think she was quite mature, quite, quite grown up for her age because she'd been kind of working mm. for a long time and um, she just seemed like a really decent, lovely person and she was incredibly popular, like Britney Spears level popular in Texas and Mm -hmm. Mexico, like huge. So it's 1995, she's 23. She'd just performed that huge show at the Astrodome a month earlier. She's in the middle of recording, um, an album that's finally going to kick her into the mainstream because EMI were finally like, oh, okay you could be popular outside of Texas. So they finally let her record a crossover album that has half English pop songs and half Tejano Spanish songs. So she's recording that album. That's going to kick her into the stratosphere. And in the middle of all that, she is murdered by the president of her fan club.
1: Oh, you're kidding. Mm -mm. Oh, male or female?
0: Female. Here we really? go.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Who? Twenty-three years old, man. So young. So, in 1991, a woman called Yolanda Saldivar, who was mm. 31 years old, and it's crazy that she's 31 years old because when you look at footage of her, she looks like Susan Boyle. And I'm not saying that because oh. Susan Boyle's like not attractive. I'm saying because she looks. Mm. I'm saying she looks that kind of dowdy, sixty around 60s, mm-hmm. like, it, and when I found out she was 30, like, in her early to mid-30s when this happened, I was like, say what? Anyway, mm-hmm. so she's 31 and she goes to one of Selena's concerts and immediately becomes obsessed with her, just obsessed, and she contacts Selena's dad because he's Selena's manager and um, he says she called him about 15 times asking him if she could start the official fan club for Selena because she didn't have one. Mm. And that was how it worked back then. Like you didn't have Twitter or Insta or whatever. Like, so I don't know if you were members of any fan clubs, but I was a member of a couple and you send in a little coupon and you usually pay like ten bucks or something, and they send you like a poster and some other crap, I don't know. So We
1: want names. Which <laughs> clubs <laughs> were you a member of?
0: Backstreet Boys, obviously.
1: Oh <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: um, I was also a member of a little Titanic club that would send Titanic things.
1: No surprise there
0: and oh, there was one other one that I oh gosh i'll I'll think of it when I remember. I can't believe you weren't a member of any fan clubs.
1: I obviously had parents who wanted me to maintain at least a small shred of dignity
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: my teens. Um, yeah. Had they not stood in the way, I'm sure I would have joined the Spice Girls fan club. Then yeah, moved on yeah, to exactly. Christina Aguilera fan club. Yeah. Um, can you remember any highlights of what you actually got in the Backstreet Boys?
0: Um, I remember getting a huge poster like that had each of their autographs on it, but they weren't, re- it's obviously just a printed autograph. So then I got like a Sharpie. And went over the autograph so it would look like they had actually, like, signed it. (laughs) Just crap like that. Now it's legit. Yeah. So that's what fan clubs were like back in the day. Um, Oh, Friends. When I was in, like, Year 5, I was a member of the Friends fan club.
1: No way.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was about 1996. (laughs) And, again, it's just you get a poster and you get, like, a... I don't know. I can't even remember now. Nothing. A newsletter. It's like blatant money-grabbing exercise.
1: I feel so much adoration for <laughs> teenage Rosie, but so little respect <laughs> at the same
0: time. <laughs> Amen. With my childhood, I had to cling to the small pleasures where I found them. So that's what I did. Um Yeah, so she begs the dad to start the official fan club and Mm. um, she was so persistent and he eventually met her um, and she explained it to him and he was like, actually, you know what? Yeah, we probably do need one and if you want to run it, then good. Yeah, work with Mm. us and do it. So she was the founder and president of the fan club and you basically spent like I think you sent in $20 and you got like a T-shirt and a printed picture with a photo on it and like news about upcoming concerts and stuff. Um, and all the money was, uh, meant to go to charity. Um, and within, uh, a couple of years, she had signed up more than 8,000 fans and become a very important person to the family and to Selena, just from a work point of view. Like she was a very, she became like, she inserted herself and became like a pretty important cog in the machine of like Selena incorporated, Um, Mm. she kind of wormed her way in and became Selena's go-to assistant a little, like she was constantly helping Selena with certain things. And, um, she had been working as a nurse, but she quit to just go and work for the family full time. Um, and then when Selena opened the two clothing boutiques, she trusted Yolanda so much that she put her in charge of them Mm. and things ticked along fine for a while, but People around Selena were worried that Yolanda seemed way too obsessive and, like, very possessive of her. So she was very funny about anyone else having access to her if she wasn't there. Like, you know, if there was some kind of person through the business that needed a meeting with Selena, she'd be like, no, I'll do that. I'll be the intermediary. And if she heard that Selena was going to things and she didn't know about it, she'd get very antsy. Um, one of the designers of the clothes at the boutiques, um, said his assistant had to go to her house once to pick up some business related thing. And when he went inside, he said he was so freaked out because the inside of her house was just like a scary shrine to Selena. Like there was not an inch of Mm. wall that wasn't covered in a picture of her, um, And that designer said he talked to Selena and he was like, I just don't think it's healthy, And but he said she just didn't seem to see it. And Mm. um, also during this time, Yolanda collected a bunch of money from all the boutique employees to buy Selena a ring as a gift and then she gave the ring to Selena but she said it was just from her and she would get Mm. really upset when she saw Selena and Selena wasn't wearing it. Like, she would get really funny about that. And as it turned out Mm. later, she had actually kept all the money from the employees and paid for the ring on the company credit card anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But um, And that's how things started to become unstuck for her because um, Yolanda was really dodgy. So Mm. she was basically a thief. Um, Phone calls started coming through to Selena's management that people had sent money to the fan club and never received anything. Um, And there were enough complaints after a while that Selena's dad, Abraham, thought he better check it out. So he went and checked out the books of the fan club and he finds a lot of discrepancies in them, like a lot of things like, um, you know, Yolanda uh, writing checks to herself from the company checkbook and then cashing them and not knowing where that money went and things like that. Mm. And so then he's like, well, crap, I better look at the books of the boutiques because she's running all of this stuff. Um, and those books were even worse. Like just an initial look at all the accounts showed that there was like $60,000 missing that they couldn't account for. And there was like stock missing and bills not paid and um, credit cards taken out in the company's name. Um, so she was dodge, And apparently no. it was very difficult to convince Selena that anything was wrong because apparently she was just naturally a very trusting person. But by this point, um, Yolanda had been in her life for, you know, a couple of years, almost three years, I think, and was incredibly manipulative of her. And people mm. said later, like at the trial, that um, it was almost like they were in an abusive relationship, like the way an abuser tries to cut you off from your family and friends and the way an abuser tries to make you feel like they can only do be of service to you and you don't need anyone else but me. And she'd kind of uh, manipulated Selena in that way. So um, when people started trying to tell her that this Yolanda person is weird and obsessed with you and Dodge, Selena was like, oh, I don't, like, you know, Yolanda would tell her, oh, they're just trying to poison you against me. And so it was Mm -hmm. hard to convince Selena. But then when her dad shows her evidence of the theft, she finally gets it and she's like oh my gosh like I can't trust this person so they confront Yolanda and she denies it and she's like I can get the paperwork to prove it and apparently she turns to Selena she's like don't listen to him like he's trying to turn you against me like they're just jealous of our relationship and all this stuff um but they fire her um but Selena feels really bad and she keeps taking her like desperate phone calls where she's crying and begging to come back and keeps trying to like come up with reasons um, like to get Selena alone to try and see her Um, and she does have a bunch of financial paperwork that Selena really needs and I think Yolanda kind of knows she really needs it so she's holding it hostage as a way to get to see her and they Mm organise for Selena to go and pick it up Um, some motel and when she does she brings her husband the guitarist and Mm -hmm. um, Yolanda gives her the paperwork but when Selena gets home she realizes Yolanda hasn't given it all to her and so she calls Yolanda and she's like well come back tomorrow then and I'll give you the rest but come by yourself and so Selena just wants to get over and done with so she and no one wants to see her alone so Selena doesn't tell anyone that she's going there. And when she gets to the little motel the next morning, Yolanda um, is crying and tells her that she has been attacked and raped. And Selena is like, Ugh. like, she she doesn't think it's true, but she's like, okay, well, let's go to the hospital. I will help you. Mm-hmm. And so they, she takes her to the hospital. They say that they can't really find any um, evidence that um, like, there's nothing – she hasn't been harmed in any obvious way, but they were like, Mm. you know, we'll uh, need to send you to this other specialist place to get a gynecological exam. Um, But then Yolanda doesn't want to do that and, like, she starts freaking out about it and a doctor later testifies that in a private moment Selena pulled her aside and said, like, do you think she's telling the truth? And Mm. the doctor said, like, I said to her because, you know, I'm a doctor, it's not my place to say whether or not she is like sh- i just have to treat her but the doctor said but that made it obvious to me that she was doubting her friend's story mm-hmm. and so they get back to the motel and um nobody's really sure what happens in the room but uh, guests can hear arguing from the room and apparently mm-hmm. they hear someone yelling like i can't trust you anymore and so it's speculated that basically selena was just like enough like I cannot Mm -hmm. see you. Give me what I need. I am leaving. This relationship is done, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they could just hear gunshots. And witnesses see Selena run out of the room. Yolanda runs after her, pointing the gun at her, yelling, bitch. She then follows Selena, who runs to the reception of the motel, um, staff lock the door behind her. So Yolanda's outside the door. Yolanda watches her collapse and then walks back to her motel room and shuts the door. Um, oh. hotel staff try to help Selena. They call police in an ambulance, but she was already dying. And her mm. last words were Yolanda 158. So that's the room that Yolanda was in. So she was trying to tell them who and where. Yeah. Um. she died in hospital about an hour later. Oh. I know, she's 23 years old, man, like just so young. Um, but oh. the day was so far o- from over for Yolanda. So mm. before police could get to her room, she had gone out to her car in the parking lot with the gun and w- was holding the gun to her head when police got there. And she was like wailing and screaming and threatening to kill herself. And it goes on to be a nine hour standoff with police. Um, The car is surrounded by police and the whole kind of block is surrounded by fans because at that point people had heard what was going on. So it all came down as like news crews and people. Um, She's on the phone with two different negotiators the whole time. And there's a lot of recordings of it. And it's like quite fascinating to listen to but also just really Mm. annoying like because she's just so narcissistic and kind of only cares about herself like she's wailing like what's gonna happen to me and like what but where like what will I do like she doesn't seem to really care about what she's done just how she Mm. feels and how it will affect her Mm. um she's um saying things like, you know, her father pushed me, her father made me do this, I was just trying to protect her and I was the only one who loved her and blah, blah, blah. She starts saying uh, to the hostage, like, negotiator people that it was an accident, um, that she was planning to kill herself. Selena got to the room, asked her, like, said, please don't kill yourself, asked her for the gun and when she was handing Selena the gun, the gun went off. Which is obvious nonsense because Selena was shot in the back and people yeah. saw her running after her saying, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> bitch. Yeah. So mm. but the negotiators are really clever. And so when she started saying that, they were like, Yes, that makes total sense, Yolanda. Like guns are, you know, temperamental. It's so believable that it would have gone off. Like, yes, of course you didn't want to kill your friend. Like, so they're doing anything they can to coax her out of the car. Mm-hmm. Um and she doesn't know that Selena is dead yet. Um, mm-hmm. and just as she's about to get out of the car, she accidentally hears on a radio across the parking lot that Selena has died. And so then she mm-hmm. starts wailing and shuts the door and won't get and so then it takes even more time. Um, but eventually they kind of by you know, the negotiators are very good at acting like they're on her side. And that's why the recordings mm-hmm. are really fascinating to listen to, the way they kind of coax her out. So they finally coax her out of the car and when she's arrested it's like the whole area erupts in cheers because it's surrounded by people and news crews and she's Mm. already the most hated person in the state like um and so Mm -hmm. she gets dragged off to the police station um she goes to trial soon after and keeps arguing that it was an accident Um, But nobody believes that. Mm. Um, She's found guilty and sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 30 years, which will be in 2025. Okay. Yeah. But it's like highly doubtful that she will get out because like. People hate her. Like, there is such immense love for Selena and such intense hatred for her. She receives so many death threats from inmates that she has to be in isolation in her cell for 23 hours a day. She's allowed out for exercise, but the rest of the time, to guarantee her safety, she has to stay alone in her... Wait, I've got it written here. 2.7 by 1.8 metre cell. Oof. Yeah. Well... um, Yeah, so... Selena's casket was put on public display in a funeral home for people to visit, but so many people turned up, they had to move it to a convention Um, centre. 50,000 people ended up paying their respects and 80,000 people signed a condolence book and her private funeral was held a few days later. And in July of 1995, the crossover album that she had been working on when she died went to number one on the mainstream billboard chart. And mm. that's she was the first Latin artist to ever achieve that. Um, it sold more than 300,000 physical copies in the first week and she was the only female artist to achieve that at the time other than Mariah Carey and Janet Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still the best-selling Latin album of all time. And to this day, her birthday of April 15th is known officially as Selena Day in Texas. Um, and then the movie, obviously, Selena, the biopic about her life, came out in 1997, starring mm. a pretty much un- then unknown Jennifer Lopez. And that kind of kicked off her career and made her a star. Wow. And so then, like probably. you said, Mac released a. Um, a line inspired by Selena and it ended up being one of their best-selling, like, branded lines of all time.
1: Oh, yeah, that was huge. Anyone who works in cosmetics is well aware of that. Yeah. Um, I bet you Jennifer Lopez deep down is just a little, little, little bit grateful to Yolanda for creating the oh, opportunity for her to step that. into the spotlight. Don't say
0: that.
1: In that little Jacob Jenna Moroni space Stanley. in her heart, JLo knows what she owes to Yolanda,
0: or what she owes to Selena, maybe.
1: Yeah, that's probably a much better <laughs> way to put it.
0: Jacob Williams Stanley. But anyway, she did yeah, a dreadful
1: it, thing, but it was a catapult.
0: It was. Um. Uh. She was on the cover of the New York Times for like you know. I think like a week straight, it was uh, one of the highest selling issues of People magazine of all time to the point where um, they released their first ever collector's edition of a magazine because so many people wanted to buy it. It just, I mean, she was really huge and it's sad that, you know, she was really about to cross over into the mainstream with her crossover album, Um, but then what really ended up giving her national and international fame was her death Mm. but it shouldn't have been you know I mean everything she had achieved at 23 imagine what she would have gone on to do. True
1: yes there's very much a chance though that we would never have heard of her (laughs) or Jennifer Lopez. Yeah Um, I mean I don't apart from Shakira I don't know of any other Latin stars that have sort of crossed over
0: well, I think she would have been Shakira before Shakira, and she would have been J Lo yeah. before J Lo. They said mm. at the time that she was the new Gloria Estevan, who was like really the main one that everyone knew then. Right. Um. Mm. I mean, yeah. It's it, let's just for the sake of being nice, people say she would have gone on to be really huge,
1: to have done great things. Yes. She would have been as big as Beyonce. I think so.
0: Um,
1: for yeah, real though. Well, there's every possibility. I'm going to definitely go and look up some of her music now and indulge mm. myself for a couple of hours. Yes,
0: that's a good point because we give you just the gist, but if you want more, there's a great podcast called Selena: A Star Dies in Texas. Um that's like <laughs> a I think it's a six-parter. Um that's really good, and then obviously watch the movie Selena. I'm pretty sure it's on like Netflix and most streaming services. And then Mm -hmm. I looked up, um, just on YouTube, there's a bunch of like dodgy true crime docos about her. Um, Mm -hmm. pretty much every major true crime series has done an episode on, you know, the murder of Selena. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's the kind of the main stuff that I looked at. Um, But when you watch old footage of her, you can see, like, she really was, I think, destined to be a big superstar. Mm. She was, yeah, very charismatic. She just had that thing. It. You got it, kid. She had that. She had that (laughs) thing. She had
1: that certain quality. Yeah. Um, You can definitely understand now why things like conservatorships that are placed on Britney are put into place when someone becomes such an important commodity. It mm. becomes really, really important to protect them with security guards, bodyguards, and per- people put in place to make sure that there are safeguards that stop them from doing things that could result in their yeah. untimely demise. And, but
0: also you know, how, do you, how are you meant to know that someone is that level of a psycho? Like mm. it doesn't even like... From what I could tell from the research I did, she wasn't diagnosed with any kind of, you know, mental illness. It sounds like she was just, like, a narcissist who was obsessed Mm. with this person. And when she couldn't have what she wanted, when it was taken away from her, she, you know, it's very abusive behaviour.
1: Well, in five years' time we'll see whether or not she's successful with her parole application. If the world is still here, I'm surprised she didn't get the death penalty in Texas.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't even look into that, but there you go. Mm. Um, maybe that's what
1: her future holds.
0: Maybe. I mean, I just can't I, I can't see the level of love and hatred for Selena and hatred for her. Like, I just can't see her getting parole. But And she, also because she won't admit it, she still says that it was an accident. And to get parole, you have to admit guilt. And um, right. like show remorse, which mm. she is yet to do, apparently. So, <laughs> there you go. That's it.
1: She ran into my gun backwards.
0: Yeah, exactly. 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> While I was saying bitch, but I was really saying it like bitch. <laughs> right? <laughs> Unbelievable. <sighs> Yeah, Uh, tracks, sure thing. Yeah, tracks. Mm. Anyway, alright, well. Well, There you go. Love you, darling.
1: Now we know about Selenia. Thank you very, very much.
0: Uh, You're welcome. Bye. Adios.